We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we will be talking about the Giants' 53-man roster as we head into week one of the regular season. Now, for starters, we're also going to touch on their final preseason game, a loss against the Jets. Some quick takeaways from that. Obviously, mostly a lot of backups in that game. Except for the fact the Giants played first-team receivers, which was interesting. Jets played a lot of first-team players. But we're also going to discuss what we think the 53-man roster will be after Tuesday's cutdowns versus what we might do if we were in charge of this team. With the caveat being, I think regardless, there will be some players added from the waiver wire from other teams on Tuesday right away after the Giants cut down and get to 53. And then the Giants will further cut those players that have officially made the 53 for a matter of, you know, minutes at that point, hours, whatever it may be. We've seen that happen in the past, however many seasons. It happens every single season. The Giants are not exempt from that at all. The Giants are not one of the better rosters in the NFL. They're not even one of the better, you know, 20 rosters in the NFL, if we're honest with ourselves about the situation they've inherited. No fault of the GM, you know, the current regime. All fault to the past regime. And so there will be changes made. I think we'll make these predictions. We'll see where we go with it. But the expectation for me, Nick, and you could correct me if you feel differently, but I'm pretty sure you're on the same page is there's going to be probably, I don't know, three, four, five players that aren't even on the roster right now. They're going to be part of this final 53-man roster. I'd say so, Dan. This is going to be a very fluid type of situation because of the just predicament the Giants roster is in. But with that said, the interesting thing about the roster, I still think there's going to be quality players released. And it's not because this roster is so deep, but it's just deep at specific positions, i.e. the edge. I think quality wide receivers will be released. So I think there's going to be some talent that won't make this team that can get scooped up by other teams. But the depth at certain positions like cornerback, that's a totally different issue. And that's one of the reasons why this roster is just not that great at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's issues from a depth standpoint really across the board with the exception of the positions you mentioned. I wouldn't even really say the wide receiver depth is anything too special, to be completely honest. Edge depth, I guess it's okay. I would say if you look around the NFL, probably nothing too special there either. Um, so like you said, there will be changes made. Some of these guys won't will make the 53-man roster, but ultimately be cut. And so we're going to get to all of that as well. Let's start, though, with the preseason game. 
and some key takeaways from the preseason game. I'll start with a couple interesting notes on my end. I thought the Giants uh, backup, I don't know if I want to call them backup because they might actually end up making the roster, but the Giants safeties, I thought, made really good plays in the run game, starting with Trenton Thompson, who made a really good stop to come up and limit an after the after contact game by Michael Carter. And then later in the game, Yusuf Corker, I thought, made a really good play. I believe it was to stop either a fourth and short or a third and short by the Jets. Thought they both played really well in this game from a run defense standpoint and just from the ability to kind of do that. Moving on to some other observations I had from the first team defense. You know, I get the feeling the more I watch. Aaron Robinson just isn't going to be the guy for them long-term at that outside corner position. And I didn't love what I've seen. You know, I still, this is no, you know, I guess I should say proclamation on how I see it moving forward, Nick, but I didn't love to see Cordell Flott this game as a tackler. I thought he missed a couple key tackles, especially the one against Braxton Berrios. That might've been the only one that comes to mind, but just generally speaking, hasn't been the most steady drumbeat summer for him due to the injury. So I don't think he's ready to be like somebody who steps right in if Aaron Robinson is getting picked on over and over early a season, which starting to look like it could be a very well big possibility for this team. Remember, he's just a third-round pick, probably better off as a slot guy, doesn't really have that game-changing boundary corner speed. It's very tough to find boundary corners in this league. You really have to use premium-type picks or get lucky um, in a lot of ways. And the Giants are... They've tried some mid-round guys, and we'll see what happens with Robinson and Flott on the outside this year. There's a good chance that it could be a liability this entire season. So I thought that that was one of my takeaways with the corners and the depth they've got going there. thought I saw some good things from the inside backers, Tate Crowder, Micah McFadden specifically, and obviously Calitro, who may have well just earned himself a roster spot with this type of performance. Edge-wise, nothing that I really had takeaway-wise. I'll turn that over to you if you had anything there. I mean, probably the bigger disappointment from just the edge group, Nick, from this game is just Quincy Rouge not not really getting an opportunity to make too many plays by being on the field again, deep into the game with some of these backups. Defensive line, the big one for me, takeaway-wise here, Nick, would be just Jalen Holmes' injury. What's happening there? <laughs> Can we get an update there? Because we're trying to figure out who's going to round out that roster there. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, we're working with a lot of backups here. Tyrod Taylor and Davis Webb, no Daniel Jones here, no Saquon Barkley. But it was odd for me to see Kenny Galladay out there in this game. I guess they're just trying to run out all their starting guys. But once again, Galladay not targeted. Galladay not involved. Tyrod Taylor can't get him going. And just a little disappointing on that front for sure. A couple other key takeaways for me. I, I think Joshua Corbin may have the bet and the most juice. And we'll talk about this when we get down to the roster um, build and the 53-man projection. But the most upside, both short and long-term for me at least, on this roster outside of Saquon Barkley, I don't love what I've seen from Matt Breida. It's obviously a small sample size, first chance to really get him to get to see him play. He's been injured, but it's not the Breida I remember from San Fran, where he was like leading the league in next gen, uh, you know, per- personal speed. A few other takeaways there for me, Nick, would just be Daniel Bellinger, really good game. Austin Allen, really good game. Really good to see the tight end step up. Obviously, the Tyrod Taylor injury, and then. Davis Webb, once again, man, I mean, look, this guy's, it's clear that he has the edge because he's been in the system. He was there with Buffalo last year, and this is clearly some the kind of system I think, Nick, that will get better with time for these quarterbacks as they get more comfortable within it. But he's comfortable within this offense, and he makes some big-time plays with his legs and with his arm. I was, the, the rollout to his left where he's able to rip the ball back, you know, the, the scrambles he's had, and then finally, you know, that touchdown to Austin Allen. That's a really good throw on that touchdown. It's a dime ball to Austin Allen. Maybe one of the better thrones that I've seen this entire preseason from any Giants quarterback. So those would probably be my rapid takeaways, Nick. You can dive into anything you saw as well. I love the play call on that Austin Allen touchdown post-wheel. 
reduced set. You have the H back, who's Austin Allen, to the boundary, run the wheel around a post who releases inside but stems vertically very hard to kind of clear out that deep portion of the field. And then you leak the running back out to really kind of just cause hesitation for whoever that outside flat defender is who kind of latched on to Austin Allen. Thought that was a really nice play call in that situation and we're going to go over the roster like you said I think you made some solid points about Ja'Shawn Corbin and I think that running back room is very very interesting just exactly what is going to happen him playing in the only in the second half doesn't bode well for him making the roster but he really performed well he wasn't the most efficient he hasn't been the most efficient this preseason but he gets the touchdown he had that big play in the passing game caught all five of his targets again brought up Daniel Bellinger. He was heavily involved, had his three targets, caught all three for 37 yards, but then he left the game with an apparent concussion. So we have to monitor that situation because I thought even without the concussion, the Giants are going to add a tight end more than likely once every team in the NFL releases 27 players. I think that's probably one of the positions where they're going to look to add somebody specific just because there's not a lot of talent there on the New York Giants roster, at least not proven talent, because two of the most interesting guys that we talk about a lot are rookies in Austin Allen and Daniel Bellinger. And then you brought up a lot of good points too, Dan, just about the defense, the cornerback tackling was something with Aaron Robinson and Cordell Flott that I had an issue with. I think we've been saying it for a very long time about that cornerback depth in the secondary being the primary issue with this New York Giants team, the defense specifically in 2022. I think Aaron Robinson, I think he can get there. I don't know if he will. I think moving him from the slot to the outside to play boundary in a system that relies heavily on him, it might be a little bit too much for this kid to chew on at this moment. That's what at least it seems like because he just doesn't seem instinctual out there whatsoever. So that's something we're going to have to monitor, and it's something that Tennessee might be able to exploit in week one because it's more than likely going to be penciled in as the starter opposite of a Dory Jackson. Why throw at a Dory Jackson when, when and if you can pick on someone like an Aaron Robinson? Yep, you nailed it. I mean, that could potentially be an issue for the Giants this season. We went over that. Aaron Robinson, for me... I don't want to be. I don't want to be the seat. You know, do 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 you see it right away with these types of guys, type of evaluator? But I can't say I see it right away with him as an outside corner for sure. I just don't see the foot speed there, and like you said, the instincts are an issue. So we'll see what the happens foot there. Speed is fine. I think it like it's not a speed thing. I think it's all instinct and technique type of thing. I think he's plenty good of an athlete enough, I and mean, we've seen slow corners in the league before. I, I don't. I don't necessarily necessarily think it's an athletic deficiency with Aaron Robinson. I think it all comes down to just instincts and being able to adapt to a new position. That's difficult, man. That's difficult for a young kid to do. And theoretically, it makes sense that you would be better on the outside, but not when you're being circled and just being exploited all the time. He plays off the hit quick curls in front of him all the time. You know, he plays up in the line of scrimmage. He doesn't do a good job with his hips and his feet to really match and stay in phase on those vertical routes. And then when he does, he doesn't always do an excellent job locating the football and tends to get a little bit grabby at times. So, it's a work in progress right now with him. He's definitely the one person on the starting defense that you would probably circle. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, look, the technique is, needs to be improved. We saw that earlier on the verticals to Tyquan Thornton, that first preseason game. And you mentioned the instincts that shows up on those in-breaker, in you know, those quick-hitting curl-type routes. But to me, I do think the speed will be, the foot speed will be an issue at the NFL level. I think within this system specifically, maybe within a Patrick Graham system, it wouldn't be an issue. We saw Julian Love and players like that play decent on the outside within that system but within this specific system 
I'm just not so sure he has the, I personally don't think that from what I've seen, he has the athleticism to be a really good corner on the outside. Can he compete? Can he be okay? Can he eventually be not, not a liability? If he improves, like you said, the technique, and if he improves the instincts, I guess, though that may be a natural thing, but let's just say if he improves the technique, sure, he can be a pretty good player maybe or like an okay player, but I don't see too many players within this Wink Martindale system. Like if I look back at those those unbelievable Baltimore corners, none of them to me really profile like an Aaron Robinson on the outside. I guess Jimmy Smith might be the only one, but prime Jimmy Smith I thought was a way different kind of athlete than Aaron Robinson was completely. And I think if Aaron Robinson was a better athlete, he would have been drafted a lot higher in the NFL draft as well. And in my opinion, from what I've seen, I, I don't think he has that kind of four three nine speed whatsoever. And I don't think NFL evaluators thought he had it either. Because if he had, they thought he had four three nine speed. He's never lasted into the third round with the debut put out there. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. I just I don't get the feeling he's like an Adoree Jackson type level as athlete at that corner outside corner position. And for me, within this system, it definitely starts to worry me just because it's such a like you said, it's so they're so reliant on these corners without with very little help. You know. They know what they have to do. They have to play press man or they have to play man coverage. Like you said, it can be off, but they have to react to it. There's just so much responsibility for these guys. So many things have to be clicking for them. Uh, and so we'll see what happens with Robinson, but obviously it hasn't been the most, like, I guess, enthusiastic, <laughs> optimistic preseason for him, or he really, really hasn't built himself too much of a case yet. But I want to mention something you said about the tackling. Um, obviously it was an issue in this game. How much in your mind is tackling a coaching issue versus a player issue? Because as, as I think through kind of regimes, tackling was a major issue during the um, forgetting his name, the, the, the Betcher era as defensive quarter. And, and some of that to me was just they didn't have the right guys, specifically at the third level, trying to make tackling tackles. I believe like at one point it was Darian Thompson back there. They had Bethea who was struggling at that point of his career. And you look at like the, the Graham years and the Patrick Graham years. I thought the tackling was really good. We went over it last off season before last year after the 2020 season we're like look we can't remember too many missed tackles at all on tape from this from this team and then now obviously it's coming back it's popping up a little bit so far in this preseason though it's so early i'm not willing to call it a problem just yet but how much of that is on the coaching how much of, and what they teach on day-to-day practice and how much of that is just the players and the personnel i think it's just about execution i'm sure the coaches are telling these guys how to tackle and these guys all played football most of their life and I guess you could say if they suck at tackling, then the next practice you can like really focus on fundamental tackling drills during, you know, EDDs or or whatever you want to do in in like those situations, however you want to handle that as the head coach and then the positional coaches. But at the end of the day, when you're in between the lines, it comes down to you being able to execute your tackles. And I don't think someone like Cordell Flott is scared to tackle. That's not the issue, in my opinion. No, not at all flying in recklessly and just kind of throwing your hands and not wrapping. And it's just like fundamental basic type stuff that I'm sure Jerome Henderson is going to go over and Wink Martindale will go over in, in practices to come. So it just comes down to execution. So I'd put it more on the players and the coaches. That's fair. I do wonder though, like obviously they'll go over it. That's their job as coaches, but I wonder how much, value there is for the coaches who really practice it over and over and over and give these guys an opportunity within their practices to get more reps. I know that was a key thing for the Joe Judge era, and this is not to knock this current coaching staff, but (laughs) you can't do everything, right? Like, you can't get everything right every single day at practice. You only have so much time. There's no two-a-days. There's one, you know, there's these one limited practices with the new CBA and with, with what's in place with the current CBA, I should say. So it's just something I was thinking about because it wasn't an issue for this team at all, and it's at least giving me a little hesitancy. Like, eh, will this be an issue? It was certainly an issue in this game. 
Yeah, it did not look pretty, especially with the cornerbacks. I mean, one led to that 21-yard touchdown, but Braxton Berrios. Luckily, Trenton Thompson was there to corral Carter because if he wasn't, then that could yeah, have been a really big run. The yeah. linebacker might have had the angle, but it was a little tough to to tell. But T- Thompson did a great job coming down from a two-high shell and just like matching with Carter like throughout the rep. If you watch it from the one angle that they showed, and I'll show it whenever I get my hands on the All-22, he comes down and he just stays square and he flows laterally and then restricts the space, gets close to the sideline, hits the near hip and makes that tackle. That was a good play by UDFA. It was a textbook play. I thought that was one of the best plays by any giant in this game. If you look at just the spatial awareness and his ability, like you said, to cut off any angle for Carter there, just really good stuff from him. And I think that we'll see soon enough, but I think that he's probably earned that roster spot. You know, at the beginning of the summer, we weren't sure who was going to kind of claim that from those back end safeties. I feel like we'll get to it, but I feel like he's definitely positioned himself nicely for this, this coming cut down day. What do you think about the Kenny Galladay non-block hurt around the world? Oh, yeah, that was obviously put around Twitter. I got to be honest with you, Nick. I have a very different opinion than, I guess, all of Giants Twitter pretty much because I'm in my own. I just don't give a crap about these preseason plays where Kenny Galladay is not trying that hard. If I saw that in a regular season game, I'd be really caring about it. But honestly, dude, if you give your all on a block and you get undercut and you get injured, that's so much like you're you're limiting any chance of injury when you don't. I know it sucks to say and everyone's like, you got to give effort for your teammates. But like, why is this dude out there in the fourth preseason game, the final preseason game without Daniel, without the starting quarterback? I just don't even understand. I, I'm watching all these teams do this. I was watching the Lions Steelers before we started recording. I'm seeing like Amon Ross St. Brown out there. Deontay Johnson out there gets injured. Like at least that was with Mitch Trubisky. They're trying to get some reps in, but I just don't see the point of it. And to me, it's like. I don't I just don't care about what I've seen from Galladay in the preseason from like the effort standpoint. For me, it's more about can he separate anymore with the with whatever's left of him post hip surgery. That's where I'm at with Galladay. It's like, can he even be a contributor's receiver? He was never that good of a blocker, despite having the body type to potentially do it. And I don't think he's gonna have plays like that on tape in the regular season. Cause if you do that in the regular season over and over, you're just gonna get benched. I've seen Kenny Galladay do this specific move several different times. And the reason why I'm not freaking out about it, like, yeah, I think, I think it's a fair argument to say, like, is he trying his best here? If, if you want to kind of chastise him for not going into the point of attack, but this is an RPO play where the handoff is meant to go through the three hole. I believe. So that is between the guard and the tackle. So you call it the B gap to the left side of the line of scrimmage. That's where the handoff's supposed to be. And if you watch that play, you'll see the overhang defender shoot down and fill the B gap so damn quickly. And that's when the running back bounces it outside at that point. And I think Galladay was positioning himself to just kind of stalk block 26 right there and get in his way. And he was going to engage him, but he sees 26 kind of go down towards the line of scrimmage. And he doesn't know that the run is going outside towards him at this point. So he never ends up engaging him. And then I think it's Brita ends up trying to bounce it outside and then nothing really ends up happening on the play. I would love to see Galladay drive through this guy, but I, I don't think he was even aware that the run was going in his direction. Now, is that a fair argument? Maybe not, you know, like maybe Maybe he should always be blocking that, but I've seen him position himself several times in this same manner. Whenever he is run blocking, he just basically uses his body, his big length to get in the way of the defensive back and doesn't engage. And I think a reason why he does that is because he sucks when he is engaged and he leans too much. And then he allows the cornerback or whomever to just slip around him. So here he's expecting the run to go off of his ass. Instead, it gets bounced outside and he never engages and it looks horrific. It looks terrible, but I think that might be what 
actually happened here. Now, you could say that's bullshit, whatever. Like, that's fine, too. I didn't look at this play and say, oh, Kenny Galladay is just dogging it. Like, I look at Kenny Galladay. I'm like, all right, dude, you're getting paid $72 freaking million. Like, you need to step up here. And, and everything about him has been negative. And I completely understand why. And I'm right on board with you. But this play wasn't the, wasn't the, the sign that this guy isn't it to me. Yeah, it was a really good analysis, Nick. You should put that on Twitter because I think you, we hear a lot about, um, you know, I, I love what I've been seeing lately, like Kurt Warner and other people who played played football at like Hall of Fame level. Like somebody's like trying to tell him like what the quarterback was supposed to read. He's like, dude, what are you talking about? It's just like, how could some guy know what more than Kurt Warner? Uh, and I'll be the first to admit, anytime I have any analysis, I would love to have an NFL coach or a player just like, totally dunk on me if it's wrong and i'm not saying people are wrong to say kenny galladay didn't put in effort here it's hard for me to know but i think the way you broke that down nick it makes me even more confident that he was doing what he was supposed to do or what he has been doing at least and if he has been doing it for a while and like you said one the, the run was not designed to go in that direction in the first place like right toward him and two he's been doing it for this style for a while and it's been at least working enough to point where he hasn't been reamed at by coaches to change this then i'm not so sure it's a problem now out of nowhere right like why is it now a problem i don't think so just because it looks really bad aesthetically i don't know i don't think it made much and of an impact on the actual play i'm not 100 percent like certain of that it's like when i watched the play i didn't think like oh kenny got like i was just like okay it's an RPO. I don't believe that's where the ball was supposed to go. Brita bounced it outside because that overhang defender shot the B-gap so hard. And then Galladay was just positioning himself where he felt like he was supposed to be if the run stayed on schedule. Right. So maybe you can criticize him for, for not being able to have the awareness to know that the run wasn't on schedule, that maybe he didn't see that defender shoot the B-gap that hard. And maybe you can chastise his his mental processing if you want to do that. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of other reasons why we should not like Kenny Galladay. And this one is a little bit, a little bit stretchy. Yeah. He's still paid to be a receiver and make plays as a receiver. That's what I'm focused on mostly right now when it comes to Kenny Galladay, not a couple of one-off plays as a blocker or, you know, from an effort standpoint, anything else in this game that, that stood out to you or that you wanted to touch on before we move toward an analysis of the 53 man roster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. 
OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Now let's get into the analysis of the 53. Yeah, it could take some time. There's a lot to talk about. There's a, there's a deep roster going in here. So we're going to go over this and we're going to again... We're going to talk about what we think will happen first and then what we would want to happen if we were in control of this thing or if it was up to us. So let's start at quarterback, Nick. What do you think is going to happen? You, you'll give yours and you can break down why and then I'll give mine and then we could do what we want. Yeah, so I think all three of the quarterbacks on the roster right now are going to make the 53. I'm not certain about this, but I think when you look at Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, they both have injury issues. Tyrod Taylor has been injured a lot in his career, and we saw that happen in the preseason game today. Daniel Jones has been hurt every season, just had his season ended by a neck injury last year. Davis Webb, not only is he competent, he knows this offense very well, and he's basically like a player coach. I think he provides a lot of value to the young quarterback of Daniel Jones. And if something were to happen to Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, now you at least have Davis Webb there. So I think all three will make the roster. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think what we heard today after the game, Nick, was that Tyra Taylor's injury is not very serious, um, at least according to Dable. They expect him back pretty soon. So I think that could ultimately impact decision. Now, there's a lot of other injuries on this roster right now. The Giants are just like filled with injuries across the board. It's wild right now. It seems like every practice, every game, any joint practice, there's new injuries. And they're not like these crazy season-long end, season enders or anything besides maybe this Lemieux one, which could end up being worse than we hoped. But at the same time, they're nagging. They're there, and they and they, they hurt the depth because a lot of these guys are locked into roster spots, and they're just ultimately not going to be cut. So from that standpoint, Nick, it makes me wonder if the Giants are going to be like, look, we're dealing with so many injuries elsewhere. We can't really afford to waste a roster spot on a third quarterback. On the flip side, it's what you said. You kind of get a coach and a quarterback when you when you roster Davis Webb. So I, this was a tough one for me. I am ultimately going to say it's just going to be Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. So I'm going to go with, I think, two of these guys will be kept. Going over this roster, too, man. Like, there's so many guys in so many positions. Where I'm like, I could see this guy making the team, but you have to just make a decision. And to carry an extra quarterback, it kind of makes me go, ugh. But, like, there is a part of me that thinks they might because of the injury history and everything else we went over. But we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Now, how about what you would want to happen if you if you could control this? I think I would just want Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, that's the same thing for me. Want to. I'm yeah. not a big like, believer like, in the three quarterback keeping thing, unless it's like a Skylar Thompson type, or like you know, and he's looked pretty good in the preseason. Obviously, Matt Waldman and uh, and our boy Mark Schofield love him. But I, I, if it, there's a long term kind of play with it, yeah. But like a Davis Webb to me, it's just that I don't see the upside to that. There is a part of me that that does want Davis Webb there to help Daniel Jones, but that's yes. what your coaches are there for. That's what Shea Tierney is there for. Can That's what Brian like Dable. A, can they hire him as like an assistant quarterbacks coach? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted the ball out preseason <laughs> one last time and he freaking did exactly that. So kudos to him. him. Okay, let's move on to running back. This one's going to be really interesting, I think, to discuss. Give me your projection for how many and which ones make the roster and then give me, uh, no, and then I'll go mine and then we can do what you would do and then I'll get mine on that end as well. 
Yeah, I have the Giants having four running backs. Saquon is the starter with Brita, Antonio Williams, and Gary Brightwell making the team, which is Sean Corbin getting on the practice squad. And the main reason why I'm I went with that is because all of those running backs, other than Corbin and Plattsgummer as well, played in the first half when there were more starters out there. Corbin didn't come in until the second half, and he basically had the entire second half, other than Plattsgummer stealing some snaps as well. And that's usually a sign that this player isn't going to make the team unless they ball out. He kind of balled out. He looked really good as a pass catcher on that fourth down catch that went for, I think, like 20 yards. I like Ja'Shawn Corbin. Ultimately, I think he's going to be a practice squad guy, though. Yeah, so again, we're going to do what we think will happen versus what we what will happen. And I think four, that's what you went with here, Nick. I was thinking about this before the pod. I feel like four is probably a good number for this. I think it's possible the Giants have at least an opportunity in a, in a I would say maybe a, a season that hasn't gone like or preseason that hasn't gone like this, Nick, with all the injuries to maybe keep five only because so many of these guys, you know, or maybe one of these guys, I should say, is also going to be probably a core special teamer. So that kind of gives you a little bit more flexibility. But in a preseason like this one with all the injuries, I don't know about that. It might be just a situation where, look, they got to keep four. And so I'm actually going to go with the exact same four as you for what I think they will do. And again, that's a lot based on what they've kind of tipped their hand and showed us, you know, based on like you exactly just said, who played, who played and who played when within this preseason. Now, what about what you would do, Nick? Honestly, I think what I would do is that same four. If they're going to roll with four running backs and not three, then I think it's these four. And it's hard to kind of really opine on Brita because we haven't seen Matt Brita. And yeah, he got like three touches in this game. I'm not going to evaluate him based on those three touches, one of them being that run that was bounced outside Kenny Galladay. So I'm not going to evaluate him just based on that. I'm hoping that he's still the same player that he was just last season in Buffalo, still explosive, can be an impact player on third down as a receiver, solid in pass protection-ish, I guess you could say. So I think what I would do, I think I would stick with these four, mainly because Gary Brightwell has special teams upside. Yeah, it's interesting. I think for me, so Gary Brightwell, I would keep him because of the special teams upside. And I actually kind of like what I've seen from him as well. For me, it would actually be between Brita and Antonio Williams, because I would be keeping Joshua Corbin or J- Joshua Corbin. How, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Jashawn Corbin. Jashawn. I don't know why I call him Joshua. Jashawn Corbin. I don't know. And I heard that today. I was like, this, why would I ever call him Joshua? It doesn't even make any sense. So Jashawn Corbin, I think to me, this is still a roster and this is still a Giants franchise that should have a forward looking lean. And they should almost in a lot of ways be thinking about their future more than what's happening in this 2022 season. It just doesn't look to me built like this is a Super Bowl team right now. And I think that's fair to say. I don't think that's a mean thing to say or a haterish thing to say. I think everyone's kind of on on par with that. So from what I've seen, Corbin has the most long-term upside for the Giants. I'm not really totally convinced he doesn't have the most short-term upside after Barkley either. I think that he has the pedigree. He was the underlying numbers at Florida state were really freaking good. And when you talk to everyone who is like following that team, covering that team or within that team, it's always like, wow, this roster was unbelievably bad around him. And look at what he did. Look at what he was able to do with just a horrific situation. And we always hear about how bad Daniel Jones's situation has been with the giants and you know why it's an excuse in a lot of ways for him not producing. But when you have a player like Corbin who is producing despite a horrific situation that's around him, that catches my attention. And just when you look at the underlying numbers, both from his production standpoint, Nick, and from the athleticism standpoint, and then what we've combined those two factors with also what we've seen 
on film this preseason. I thought he's looked really good. I thought he's looked like he's had the most juice of this entire group. And to be quite honest, I feel like Brita's looked the worst of this group in preseason. That's, that's one thing to say. And obviously he's been playing through an injury or maybe he's not fully healthy in that regard, but I just wouldn't risk it. I wouldn't put core. I'm sure they could probably get Corbin through on the practice squad, but for me, I'd probably just rather have Corbin up there um, on the actual game day roster. So I would go with Corbin and for me, probably over, no, honestly, I'd go with Corbin over Brita. I, I haven't seen enough from Brita this preseason that makes me excited for him. And he doesn't really offer much special teams wise either. That's probably a little too aggressive. So maybe I'll say I'll take that back, Nick. I'll walk it back. I'll go. I would go Corbin over Williams. And Corbin, too, has special teams upside as a returner if you want to use him in that right. manner. So that's why it does make sense. I think he probably would sneak on to the practice squad, which is one reason why I, I think I'm OK with just putting him in that position. But I can't knock putting him up on the active roster over some of these other guys. Cause it was a really tight race, man. This was one of the more fun camp battles to watch was who's going to seize the day at the running back position. And Tony Williams just got like sent to another dimension with that hit from Quan Alexander, and put the ball on the ground. That's probably not going to help him out too much. And I'll say this. We talked at the top of the pod, Nick, about how we think there will be some of these positions where we come up with a four man or whatever it is, five people, three people, four they may end up being there when it's final cuts, but then they're immediately vaulted in for a free agent. This could be a position where I think the Giants could look at a free agent running back uh, off the waiver wire if and only if they feel like Matt Breida is done or Matt Breida is not going to be able to contribute early due to the injury or maybe at all if this injury is going to linger for him. Because I don't know if they feel fully confident if Breida is not able to go with any of Williams, Brightwell, and Corbin in any kind of like, you know, Big time role, spell role for Barkley, or in, on another hand, like if Barkley has any misses any time with injury, can they trust any of those guys outside of Brita for sure? And I'm not certain on that. So if they feel like they don't like what they've seen from Brita, or more important, they think he, this injury is going to kind of hold them back from being what they thought he could be, I wouldn't be shocked at this position where they look to the wire to add a player. Neither would I, not at all. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happened at the tight end position. <laughs> yeah, either, speaking of position where they're probably yeah. going to add someone in free agency. Yeah, so for the tight ends, dude, I wanted to keep four, but I ended up only keeping three here. I mean, there's going to be more spread looks, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, 10 personnel like it was up at Buffalo. I think you're going to see some 12 personnel. I think you're going to see some 21 personnel with Matt Breida and Saquon Barkley. And if these receivers are healthy, you're going to see some of them aligned in the backfield. I think it's going to be creative, but I think as of right now, they will add somebody at this position, but the final 53 will probably have three guys on it. And two of them I have being rookies and Bellinger and Austin Allen, and then Tanner Hudson, the individual they just signed. I have Chris Myrick as the odd guy out. I think that's fair. And I think this will be a position where we will see a change. I think we're going to get Bellinger for sure. I'll go with Bellinger, Tanner Hudson and Austin Allen for now. But I think ultimately it could be Bellinger and two other guys from the waiver wire, honestly, as up to as much as two. I don't think it's going to be that, but I think it's possible. I think it will probably be Daniel Bellinger, maybe Hudson, I guess, and somebody to pick off of the wire. I don't know. I'm not even too sold on Hudson, personally. I would never keep Hudson over Allen. I think Allen has way more upside long-term, and, and maybe even short-term in some ways. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take him, but it, obviously it's more a developmental player. You need these guys to play snaps, though, like you said. like they, I, Of course, they're going to have more 10 personnel. They're going to have a lot of these like hybrid-type groupings where you may not need more than one tight end in the field or maybe not even one tight end. But I don't think they're at the point where they're just going to be able to rely on, on Daniel Bellinger to play like 95% of the snaps. A lot of these guys are going to have to play whoever is in there. So I think for me right now, I'll actually go with just Bellinger and... Hudson 
and put Austin Allen on the practice squad for now. Allen could make the team and then get put on the practice squad once the Giants add somebody off of free agency or somebody else to another position or what have you. And then we got wide receivers here, Dan. And I only have six making the team. And it's Kenny Galladay, maybe begrudgingly, but Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Wondell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, David Sills, and Richie James. So that leaves CJ Board, Darius Slayton, Jalen Moore, Keelan Dawes, Travis Toivonen, and Alex Bachman off. And I think they'll try to squeak Bachman onto the practice squad. And yeah, Nick, so this is where you went six, I went seven. When I, I have two tight ends, you have three tight ends. This is kind of where I added. I think it's just kind of more, I'm guessing it might be more of like a number strategy type game if they feel like, look, we're going to be able to attack that waiver wire to get a tight end that's going to play some snaps behind a Bellinger type. Something I guess they expected and hoped they would get from a player like Ricky Seals-Jones before the injury. If they can find that, I think they can go into the first 53, the initial cut down with seven at wide receiver, knowing they're going to have a little bit more time to make that decision on who they want to cut. Because some of these guys might get scooped up. You cut a slate in and he might get scooped up. I'm with you here. If I'm going with seven, it's the six you mentioned. And then my seventh is Darius Slayton, who I'd probably have back and forth with Richie James right now. If they're only going with six, but I might even lean Slayton. But I'm going to go with Slayton as my seventh here. Slayton or James, whatever you want. Board out. Board, previous regime guy. Now, Board's interesting because he does have the special teams prowess, if you want to call it that. And that could be a factor. But ultimately, I think he's the odd man out there. And, yeah, David Sills is the int- most interesting one to me. I mean, we expected Galladay. There's no, there's nothing to do about Galladay. We can get to that in a second if we want because people are like, oh, they're going to cut Galladay. Look at what Brian Dable said about him. It's like, no, they can't because they literally have to find $14 million in cap space just to cut him. They literally, they, it cost them $14 million to cut him. That's how it's this insane. contract is structured. So, because they front loaded it all last year, um, you know, to make that run for that special 2021 season that we got to enjoy as fans, right? An <laughs> <laughs> unbelievably special 2021 front load season. But so, Tony Galladay, Robinson, Shepard, those are all locks. But it is interesting that we both have Sills in here as a lock. He's earned this, man. Like, he's freaking earned this. And I feel good for him. Because he's made plays with Taylor. He's made plays with Jones. He's made plays in practices. He's made plays in the preseason game. That's all you can ask for. Is it still possible, Nick, that we get to the regular season and Sills just can't beat NFL-level corners and create separation there? Maybe it's possible. Obviously, that's a, there's a non-zero chance, but maybe he can. He hasn't really been giving the greatest opportunity from a sample size standpoint to prove that he can or can't beat these NFL-level corners. He has a great rapport with Jones, which is something that I think is insanely important, quarterback-wide receiver rapport. He's making plays every opportunity he gets. He's earned this spot, and I'm happy for him, and I'm happy he's on the roster. He's not only on the six man or the seven man wide receiver group that I'm projecting, Nick, he's on, he's in the group that I would do. If I was in charge, I would keep David Sills. Yeah. I think I'm in the same boat as you right now. I mean, he's just, like you said, he's earned it. So I think that's the exact group I would keep is those six. If you're rolling with six, if you're going to roll with seven, I would love to put Darius Slayton there, but I don't know if it's fiscally responsible because if it is true that there's like no penalty for this season and you could save $2.5 million releasing Darius Slayton, you might need that $2.5 million in a cap strap team when you're suffering injuries and you need to bring guys in, even for these cheap vet minimum type of contracts, they can add up, especially if you keep suffering injuries. And for a fifth receiver with no special teams value, I just don't know if Darius Slayton has a home here, especially because he's dealing with a hamstring injury right now that has limited his practice reps. I think he has value. I think if he doesn't make this team, he's one of the players I was kind of talking about the beginning of the podcast where he can go somewhere and he can latch on and he can, and he could be a contributor, 
you know, as a vet minimum type player off of the scrap heap, if, if you will. Because I think he has talent. He just hasn't really shown a lot of promise since 2019. It's like him and Kenny Galladay are both kind of similar in that in that respect. I think Darius Slayton can still create separation. He still has a lot of upside. He's still young and all that. But their best seasons that we've seen recently was in 2019. It's kind of been all downhill since then. Slayton, it, it's going to suck if the Giants let go of him. But I think that ultimately might be what happens. Yeah, that's probably our only difference, at least at receiver. I would keep Slayton both in a six and seven man. I'd keep him over James, potentially over Sills. I think Sills has earned it. So I think push comes to shove, I give it to Sills and just hope for the best there. But to me, Slayton still offers something that Richie James doesn't. And that's a different type of profile for this wide receiver position. I know it's been all bad for him lately, but I just don't trust too many of these guys right now to win vertically on the outside. And that's not to say I think Slayton can do it on a consistent basis because he hasn't in a while, but he has flashed that he's done it, it plenty of times throughout his career. I mean, even last season, the one he caught against Washington it was an incredible vertical round, not the one he dropped. I'm talking about the one that he caught in the left corner of the end zone. I mean, he has shown that he can get vertical. He can make he can one have good releases on the vertical routes Two get vertical with his route running and with his speed and just genuine bursts off the line of scrimmage. And I'm not so sure that Richie James could do that. If he's lined up on the outside, I don't think David Sills could do that. I'm not even positive. Kenny Galladay can do that right now at, his, at this stage of his career. I'm hoping he can, obviously. I mean, that would be devastating if he can't even do that anymore, but, Right now, Darius Tony, Wandell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, I don't feel really good about any of their vertical outside boundary threats. And I think Slayton has a case to be made that he can offer more than, than, than a lot of these receivers in that one specific way. And they just don't have that on their roster right now, really uh, consistently. So for me, I would still keep him on this roster. I've seen him actually compete and contribute at the NFL level at a pretty high level, obviously for short sample size, like you said, in 2019. But I haven't seen that from David Sills. I haven't seen that from Richie James against NFL-level corners. So for me, I would definitely keep Slayton over uh, on a six-man roster over James and on a seven, just as the seventh. And then on a five, if they had to go down to five receivers, I would have a real debate for Slayton over Sills. I just wish we saw more of him in preseason, sure. but it seems like this hamstring injury that he's been, it's been like nagging him throughout preseason has hindered what he could do. Cause remember the first preseason game they started out and he was involved in two plays on that first drive. He got hit with the screen. Remember we saw Evan Neal rumbling right. down, just taking dudes out and stuff like that. So they had a plan for him. I just don't know if the injury is going to hold it back. And from the financial standpoint, it just seems like he might be destined to go, but I do think what you bring up is very accurate and it's a strong case for Darius Slayton. Yeah, they just don't have anyone out there. It's, it's, it's interesting how this roster has been built at the wide receiver position. I think they kind of, I don't want to say expected or hoped Kenny Galladay to be a vertical winner because this t- regime didn't even bring him in. So it's hard for me to say they expected that out of, out of him. But maybe they went into this like, we can only kill so many birds with one stone. We need to get a player like Wandell on this roster right now because we need quick game. We need a way to generate a passing game. And right now, the, this might be our best way to generate a passing game immediately. But ultimately, like you look back at some of those options they had there, specifically George Pickens. I mean, right now it's like they're they're going to need to go into next offseason, especially if they do cut Slade and Nick or if he has another bad season if he's kept, with an emphasis on finding a vertical boundary receiver. Like they just don't, like, especially if Galladay is really done, then they really got to figure that out because you can't you can't. In my opinion, you can't field a roster full of just Tony Wandale Shepherd types. I don't know where you stand on that, but that's just not the ideal group at all for me at receiver. I would like a big body receiver who can win contested catches like Kenny Galladay in 2019. That, that's the kind of receiver that I would like. And I'm hoping Wandell Robinson, everything hits and everything's smooth with Wandell Robinson. But we do remember back in, I believe it was the 2019 draft, if I'm not mistaken, 
There was a receiver drafted to the Arizona Cardinals named Andy Isabella before a receiver that was drafted in the same division, I think two picks later, named DK Metcalf. <laughs> Let's yeah. hope that the uh, Wando Robinson and George Pickens situation doesn't turn into something like that three years down the road. I have high hopes for Wando Robinson. I don't think it will, but damn, he does look small out there. And every time he takes a hit, I, I like, kind of cringe a little bit. And he finally showed some bursts, which I've been looking to see, like burst first NFL level players today on that end around. That was really good to see. But you're right. Oh, yeah. He does look short out there because I needed to see that. Right. Like if he doesn't have that, then he's never going to make it at this NFL level as anything superstar wise. I, I saw that. I like that. Like you said, he's small. I don't really have any kind of high expectation that he's going to be some kind of superstar receiver, despite the high draft pedigree. But I think he can be a solid contributor for what that's worth. If that's worth it, that's fine. I don't think he's going to be an Andy Isabella, like total flame out type. Because Isabella, a lot of his thing was like, I mean, Isabella had more vertical speed. He's a better straight line runner than Robinson, but he didn't have the production that Robinson had against SEC level defenses. He did it at a small school. Robinson at least has competed against NC level uh, SEC level defenses. He's shown a, a, a you know a wide variety of roles he could play. He's tough, obviously, and he makes catches over the middle. He he does a lot of things that I think, from a production standpoint, will make him a solid contributor. I don't think they're getting the upside there. I never thought it was an upside pick personally. It doesn't really. It doesn't really profile as one, but but you never know. I mean, there there are players at his size who do end up breaking out. It's I know it's a small sample size of these types of players, but it's definitely possible. And he's obviously you know a cookie cutter fit for what they want from a schematic standpoint. So I'm not I'm still feeling good about that. I just feel like on the outside I want a receiver. It doesn't even have to be like a big body contested catch guy, Nick. It just has to be someone who I can trust to win vertically on a consistent basis from the boundary position, not from the slot. Plus, he's tough as nails, too, which is going to go in his favor, Wando For Robinson. Sure. But you're right, man. Yeah, I would love to have that guy. Hopefully, Kenny Galladay can be that guy. Yeah. I don't know. Just go back to 2019 and, and wear the blue jersey and actually end up being that guy. I'm not, I'm not optimistic about that either, man. The, the creating separation thing is is a real issue with Galladay. But yeah, dude, it's um, this receiver room's weird. That's, that's I think, the best way to... Very weird. Best, but isn't it the offensive line? Oh, but then, yeah. Isn't it kind of crazy though that like I feel like if nothing happened to Colin Johnson, like if he was healthy, I would feel better about this situation, like Maybe like better. a decent amount better to the point where it's like, should I be feeling that much better about this situation because of a player like Colin Johnson? It's a good question, but just from you know, sometimes you just got to let it play out on the field, Nick. That's why you're feeling that certain way, and so am I, because he did it. He produced. He was given opportunities. He produced a lot with Taylor, and then he produced with Jones, and he looked good on film. That That's part of it. It's not just what was their draft pedigree, right? Because Colin Johnson was a late rounder. Kenny Galladay, even though Kenny Galladay was also a, a day three pick, he had, you know, flashed big time potential, big time trades, big time production with the Lions, with Stafford, the kingmaker at, at quarterback. But sometimes just about what are they producing? How are they producing now? And Colin Johnson was arguably the best producer at the wide receiver position Throughout training camp, I don't know if it's even an argument. It's like him or Sills. Like Tony was hurt the whole camp. Wandell did some things, didn't do too much. Shepard was hurt the whole camp. Galvez done nothing, and Richie James made some plays at the beginning of camp, but wasn't even as big. So, like, we're talking about the biggest producer, the best producer, going down with an injury. So, I think you're right to feel that way. I would have felt a lot more confident going into the season with Johnson as well. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy. But onto the offensive line, Dan. How many offensive linemen do you have the New York Giants keeping? This is such a weird situation, Nick, because of the injuries. And 
almost feel like in some ways we jumped the gun on on feeling so confident about the improvements we've made and where we're going with the offensive line this season because we still did have that big question mark at left guard. I guess I kind of felt like, eh, you know what? I think Lemieux is going to do good. I think he's going to be able to figure this out. And I knew, so, you know, at center, I wasn't going to feel great. But now it's like center and left guard to me are going into the season with massive question marks. The injury situation is leading me to a, to a place where I'm like, Oh dear God, are we going to get hit with another Matt Scarra situation? And whoever else, what was the other guy's name? Wes, Wes Martin, Wes Martin. Jesus Christ. If I ever have to see Wes Martin play another snap for the giants as a starting offensive lineman in a regular season game, like a Wes Martin type, that's what I'm starting to worry about a little. Cause with Shane Lemieux, Brian Davis was basically like, look, don't expect him back anytime soon. That's not great. Who wants to hear that? That sounds like he's going IR. Honestly, it sounds like he might be one of those six game IR type of guys, which sucks. And then with Azudu hurt and being hurt for a lot of this, the last couple, you know, weeks, I should say, or week and a half, whatever it's been, I'm starting to get really worried about what the hell is going to happen for week one at left guard. Like Devery Hamilton, who's also somewhat, is is he going to get in there? Like what's going on there? It's clouding my decision too on like how many they're going to keep Nick, because so many of these guys are injured. It's so hard to figure out what they're going to decide because you know, we're going to get some surprise cuts. I think Nick, and when those surprise cuts happen, it's almost always in my mind, we find out a day later, or an hour later, or whatever it is, oh, this injury is a lot worse than, than we were told, right? This injury is a lot worse than was let out to the media. And so which one of those guys do you think is going to be those guys, or it's going to be multiple from this offensive line group? I don't know. So I'm kind of a question. I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at a pass with the you know offensive line as far as the sense that like, I don't really know for sure what's going to happen here. I mean, I'm curious to hear you have and how many you have going into the season because I feel like you're going to have a bigger number than is, is typical for an NFL roster. I have nine. And that's something that I feel like NFL rosters typically have eight or nine offensive linemen. Shane Lemieux is the left guard. I have on my sheet IR. I have him in red with a question mark because I think he like you brought brought this up and I think he could get relegated to the IR. The way Brian Dable answered that question, it just seemed very pessimistic. And Brian Dable typically is the kind of guy he's not going to give you a lot of injury information. If they're okay, he'll just be like, yeah, yeah, they're okay. Well, he was like, yeah, it might be a little while until we see Shane Lemieux. So if he ends up going to the IR, I think they still end up keeping nine. I'm just not certain who that ninth guy would end up being. Would it be Will Holden who has played tackle? Do you want to add somebody who has tackle experience if something were to happen to Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal? I mean, you have Hamilton, who I have making it. So the guys I have making it are Thomas, Lemieux, Feliciano, Glowinski, Neal, Azudu, Ben Bredesen. Jamil Douglas, Devery Hamilton. All three of those guys, other than Hamilton that I mentioned, have all missed kind of significant time in training camp. So I think this position is going to be one of the positions that they look to upgrade through the free agency. I think at Ooh. the end of the day, it's going to be nine, but I think you're going to look for guys who are released and it's going to be difficult, man, because who's releasing good offensive linemen around the NFL? Not, not a lot of teams. So they might look to do something like that if. Shane Lemieux does go to the IR, but if he doesn't, I think those nine with Lemieux would be the guys to, to uh, that they're going to rock with. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, Nick, in a lot of different ways there. I feel like you're probably onto something at all. A lot of this does depend on what happens with Lemieux. If he's placed on IR, that opens up another roster spot. I'll go with eight that I think will be on this 53-man roster and just take out Jamil Douglas. Uh, and, and I think they'll, like you said, maybe look to free agency there. But obviously, if Lemieux is placed on IR, it makes a it's a greater chance that a guy like Douglas or Hamilton or Bredesen, who are maybe bubble guys for us right now, but we both have on the roster, they'll give him a better chance to actually make the roster if Lemieux is on IR. I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't think that um, the Nigerian dude is going to have a chance to make this roster right away. Practice squad for sure, maybe priority guy there. Um, 
And then, you know, Rivas, Smith, Holden, Max Garcia. That The interesting one would probably be Max Garcia, who's out for both of us. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from Garcia and what his chances are to make the roster? Because he's the veteran type of this group that's out. I believe Max Garcia played some guard, but I know he played a lot of center so far this preseason. And I hadn't seen anything that really jumped off. I didn't, like, evaluate his tape specifically. I was just watching right. the Giants as a whole. I think he has a shot to make the team, specifically if Lemieux is injured, because Max Garcia can do both guard and center. And I think that will be valuable, especially with John Feliciano dealing with little nagging injuries all throughout training camp. So I think it would make sense to keep Max Garcia. He might be the most interesting, but like the most boring, I guess, most interesting in the fact that he can be competent, but he there's not a lot of developmental growth there because he's an older player, whereas someone like a Garrett McGinn or Roy M., player like that a little bit younger Josh Revis who was released so I don't think he would be the guy but ultimately I think it's going to be nine and I, I think Hamilton is a lock I think Bredesen is kind of a lock but the injury makes me be like eh. I think Hamilton is the one guy though that between Bredesen Douglas and Hamilton he's the lock because he's been healthy this entire time he's been healthy throughout training camp and he's played a ton of snaps and he was really good in the first and second preseason game looked a little bumpy in this last one but i'll let you guys know exactly how that played out whenever i can watch the all 22 yeah without a doubt all right let's move on to the defense defensive line here nick give me your uh your projection for what you would do before we go on to what you uh, i'm sorry for what you think will happen then we can go about what you would you what you would do so I think what I think would happen and what I would do, it's the same. And it's Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, DJ Davidson, Jalen Holmes, and Nick Williams, who I feel like has made flash plays in every preseason game. Other than the first one, I don't think I remember, but he had a really nice one in this one. He had a really nice one in the one against the Cincinnati Bengals. But that leaves Ryder Anderson, who's a favorite off. That leaves Justin Ellis, who is a big body guy who had a really nice play in this game as well off this list. And then David Moa. I like the idea of Ryder Anderson. I think it's going to come down to Ryder Anderson or Jalen Holmes. And Jalen Holmes' experience might put him over the edge, whereas the Giants might try to squeak Ryder Anderson on the practice squad. But the thing about Jalen Holmes is he just got injured. I don't know the severity of said injury as of right now. But those that's probably what I would even rock with right now. The one guy that I that I question in the one the one for one battle would be Jalen Holmes versus Ryder Anderson. I, I can I can go either way right there. But Ryder Anderson, he's had a good camp, supposedly. So I can see the Giants leaning youth because they already showed that they would do that when they released Andrew Adams and for, in favor of Yusef Corker and Trenton Thompson. Yeah, I think this is a good take. I, I get the feeling, and you could correct me if, if you, or you could just give me your take if it's different, but that this is going to be a season where the Giants use the down defensive linemen, these types of defensive linemen, the interior guys, on fewer snaps than in the past. And that doesn't mean overall like a player like Leonard Williams or Dexter Lawrence, but just they're going to have, in my mind, I think I'm at least projecting and predicting and guessing, it's all guess, that they're going to have more combinations of personnel groupings that feature fewer interior defensive linemen on the field at the same time. And with that in mind, as my guess, I feel like this might be a position where I'm projecting five now, but it could only be four. Or it could be four and they pick up somebody from free agency, like you mentioned with other positions. And I think for me, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Nick Williams are the three that I have kind of in their own tier, obviously Dexter and Leonard in their own tier, but as the ones I'm sure of. And I think I like what I've seen flashes wise of DJ Davidson and they just drafted him. So I feel like he's a lock. And then it comes down to, are they going to keep five? If they keep five, is it Holmes, Ellis, Anderson, or obviously we can throw David Moe into the mix. Ellis feels like a flame out a little bit. Obviously he has the experience playing in Wink's defense, but Maybe it's along the lines of what they had last year uh, with the dude who came over from the Lions that I'm not that I'm not forgetting. Danny Shelton. Well, Danny Shelton, where it's just not there anymore. Who knows? 
Holmes, I think it'll come down to the injury, how serious it is. But otherwise, I will also jump on board of the same five you said, with the with the exception that I could easily see them just keeping four. For now, I, th- I like that. I like that take a lot, especially when you have Jihad Ward healthy like they do now. Right, Jihad Ward can play on the line if you want him to, if you need him to, and I also think Quincy Roche can if you want him to, if you need him to. I just. I'm not certain Quincy Roche is going to make the team just judging by where he's playing in mm. preseason. I like Quincy Roche, and I guess we could just roll right into the edge right now. I have the Giants keeping five edge rushers with Aziz, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jahad Ward, Ellerson Smith, and then I have O'Shane being kept. He rolled out their first team, quote-unquote, defense, but played even into the second half at times, just getting as many reps and as many snaps as he possibly can. And this one hurts a little bit, Dan, because – I love Quincy Roche, and I really like what I see from Taman Fox. And I don't know if another team would would pluck a guy like Tom and Fox. But I hope they could try to sneak him onto the practice squad. I don't know if ultimately that will happen. But what the Giants are showing, I think it might be Oshane. It's not what I would do, though. Yeah, I think you're right. We're going by what we think we would do. And I think this is it. Like we We've had the writing on the wall kind of with Quincy Roche, which is obviously a favorite of Big Blue Banter, both you and me. You've convinced me on him. And, you know, anyone who's watched him last year on, on film could see it. Even some flashes from earlier this preseason and within the practices, some really good training camp practices. Tom and Fox, obviously the best of his name, way better than the other Tom and Tom and uh, Baratheon or Tom and uh, Tom and Tom and Lannister. Just a little about Timon Pumbaa. Yeah. A little Game of Thrones <laughs> reference there for those fans. House of the Dragon back. That's a that's a good I'm pumped about that already. But anyway, back to the Giants here. Let's let's focus on in settle in. But yeah. What I would do would be keep Quincy Roche over O'Shane Zimenez or honestly keep both of them on the roster and Tom and Fox to the practice squad. I have a little bit more of a roster flexibility here by keeping up one fewer offensive lineman or defensive lineman. Haven't really fully settled in, but would probably be from the defensive line here. And so I would actually keep both of these players. I, I just I wouldn't get rid of Quincy Roche. I think he's somebody who rises to the occasion in, in when he actually has the opportunity to play snaps. And he showed that last year on film. Yeah, I'm 100% with you here, especially if the Giants rock with four defensive linemen instead of five, then you keep Quincy Roche and you can keep one of Timon Fox or Roshan Zemetis in that situation. And the defensive lineman that I had down here as who the Giants would keep, the expendable one to me would be that Jalen Holmes type if you wanted to maintain Nick Williams, especially if Justin Ellis is not making the team at the same time. Because I don't know if DJ Davidson's in line to be that full-time odd front nose with Lenny Mm -hmm. and Dexter Lawrence. I'm just not certain on if he could do that, even though DJ Davidson has flashed so far through preseason. I would love for the Giants to keep Quincy Roche. Hopefully they do. And I'm actually getting pretty eager right now for this cut day because it's, like I said, that there are players like that and players like Darius Slayton that like, if they're released, I'll be like, I get it. But like, damn. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny. It would be really funny, Nick, if because he has flashed, like you said, if DJ Davidson is the guy who kind of like breaks through as that day three guy, that's the best contributor in year one type of thing, because he was totally overlooked during the draft process. We all kind of wrote him <laughs> off. He wasn't a favorite pick of anyone's really. And it just would be like, damn, like it, it would show it would, to me, it would be a really good sign of what's to come with this from a scouting standpoint or from the personnel standpoint from this new regime. If they could locate a guy who on paper. And from, you know, all the things we go over, the athleticism, everything that we use to project, what didn't seem like a good pick, but they saw something and it translates right away. That That's something that would be cool, I think, for the Giants in year one to get. Just players like that. It doesn't have to be just Davidson. Anyone this regime has really brought in this season. But let's move forward. Inside backer. What are your thoughts on the inside backer position? How many do you think they're going to keep and which ones? So I have them down for five right now. 
And I'm wondering if that's too much. I'm not even really 100% yeah. certain. But the five that I have, Blake Martinez, Terry Crowder, Michael McFadden, Austin Calatro, and then Cam Brown with Carter Coughlin as the odd guy out. Look, I think Calatro has just risen to the occasion all preseason. And I didn't have my boots on the deck at training camp to see exactly how he was performing. But he's been making plays, man. He has two interceptions. The, the play he had against Flacco was just a damn smart play to cut off that yeah. angle and sink underneath that running back leaking out. That was a really heady play. And he's pretty physical on his run fits. I don't think he's that great at stacking and shedding and, and being physical at the point of attack with offensive linemen. But in terms of I have the the quickness to shoot this gap and, and get into the backfield, he does that really explosively. And I feel like he brings good pop on contact to running backs, wraps them up, and then finishes the tackle. And I appreciate that about him. So I had Calatro making this over Carter Coughlin, who we just haven't really seen do anything all preseason in training camp. Yeah, that's fair. I think they're going to go with four here, Nick. So I'm going to go with four as well. But I, I know why you are why you have these these five in, especially with Cam Brown's background and pr- proven production on special teams, Calitro's actual production. I think Martinez, Crowder, and McFadden are locks. As far as what I've seen, McFadden has had really done well throughout the preseason, every opportunity he's gotten. You say the same about Calitro, but he doesn't have the exact draft capital, and he wasn't brought in via the draft by this regime. He's bounced around the NFL, I think, four or five different teams. I would say for my fourth between Brown and Calitro, I'm actually going to go with Cam Brown for the special teams thing here. But look, they could easily go with five linebackers, like you said, because Calitro, I feel like just from a pure have you earn your roster spot standpoint, like everything we've said with like a David Sills type, Calitro's earned it, right? He's he's clearly earned it with his production on the field. But I just I'm just thinking four is probably the number for inside backers based on just past regimes and just everything I've seen for as far as how many linebackers NFL teams keep. The one thing I will say is they have used some funky personnel groupings this preseason with a lot of linebackers on the field at time. So maybe this is a different regime that has more usage for these types of players. So I'm not fully sold on it, Nick, but I'm going to go with four for now. And those four being Crowder, Martinez, McFadden and Brown. And I think that's ultimately what I would do as well. And I also like just how this coaching staff has positioned a lot of these players who are like these fringe bubble roster players players like Calitro and they're using them in a variety of different ways and sometimes it might not even be the optimal way but they want to see how they perform like I've seen Calitro be used as a blitzer so many times and I actually feel like he's pretty solid in that role and he's getting pressure he's pretty relentless in pursuit and that's another reason why I just look at him and I say that's something that Carter Coughlin does as well but I haven't seen it yet within this system, within what Wink Martindale wants to do. So I'm wondering if that's another thing that Calatro has is just his ability to blitz, his ability to cover, his ability to fit the run might be beating out Carter Coughlin in that, in that area. And the only reason why this is happening is because Darian Beaver's injury. I think that's uh, right. a big reason why. Yeah. And that's super unfortunate because he would, I think he would have made both of our rosters, but yeah, let's move forward to corner. This is a, this is a position where I'm almost positive they're going to sign someone off the waiver wire. Like you talk about offensive line and tight end. I feel pretty confident they're going to, but there's just no talent at offensive line. Like the, the Giants desperately need a swing tackle if Parrott's not going to be able to do this thing. And there's just no one. There's never any you don't you don't find swing tackles after the first cuts. And I really don't think you find too much a tight end either. I'm hoping I'm wrong about that, Nick, but these are just two of the weakest, shallowest positions across the NFL tackle and and tight end so i'm a little worried there but at corner i feel like there's always guys you can scoop up off the waiver wire or trade like a seventh rounder which i don't think the giants will do i don't think they want to trade any picks but scoop off someone off the wire so 
I think ultimately this is where, you know, I have I had one fewer at bat, inside backer. I, I maybe have one fewer defensive line. This is where I think the Giants will keep more than usual. And I, I'm going to go with seven corners for who the Giants are going to keep. But with at least one, possibly up to two, not currently on the roster. So give me your numbers, how many and which ones. I think you're right. And they already added two off waivers in Elijah Griffin and Harrison Hand. So you know they're addressing this position and they're not overly confident with the people that they have in place, at least not the depth. You have a Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson. I have six, by the way. Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes. They're all locks. Cordell Flott, lock. A lot, a lot of things rhyme with Flott, you know, like slot. Like I just feel like every time we're talking about Cordell Flott, there's always something that rhymes with Flott. Anyway, <laughs> and then I have Zion Gilbert and Harrison Hand making the team with the caveat, I guess you could say, that Harrison Hand or Elijah Griffin. I think it's going to be one of those two that will make this team. And I put Zion Gilbert here, and I'm not even I'm not even in love with it because I don't really think he's played that well, but neither really has Elijah Griffin too much. So I can easily see Elijah Griffin and Harrison Hand both making the team over Gilbert, but I'm ultimately going to settle on Gilbert, who has been there. And we've heard the coaching staff talk about his development. Ultimately, he could be a practice squad guy, along with Darren Evans, who will be a practice squad guy, in my opinion. But they got to add somebody, man, because you can't go like it, if they went into the regular season like this and Adore Jackson went down. Yeah, I know. Ew, yuck. It's just disgusting. They need some talent at this position. There's just a dearth of it. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. This is a dire situation in my mind at the corner position. It's crazy how they got here. They use so many resources and assets at this position during the Gettleman era. A few just totally flamed out for them, and that's really what killed them. Uh, obviously, um, DeAndre Baker, a first-round pick that they traded two picks for, I believe a late three and a fourth, the Damon Harrison pick and the Eli Apple trade picks, and they got nothing out of that dude. And then, obviously, the top 60 pick or whatever it was on Sam Beal, I think it was top 56, what was it? It was so high. No, 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 it was top 65 on Sam Beal, and Beal gives them absolutely nothing either, and that's from that standpoint. Obviously, a few other lesser guys that they've tried there, they just haven't been able to figure it out and get it going. And it's tough. It's a tough position to get in the NFL. We know that. And it's very important. Like if I had it, I, I told you this at the time, Nick, despite the fact that I think Kayvon Thibodeau was maybe the second best overall player upside wise in this class, I would have taken sauce over him because I just think corner is so much more important and valuable and harder to find than edge rushers, especially in a system like Winks, where you can generate pressure with sending a certain amount of guys or exotic blitzes or tricking the offensive line and tricking the opposing quarterback and dictating to him. But you just can't teach or you can't, you can't scheme man coverage on the outside. You just can't do it. You have to have guys who can do it from, like you said earlier, when we were breaking out Robinson, maybe it's technique standpoint that plays a role in it. Maybe it's the instincts and maybe it's the overall athleticism, but those three things have to be there in conjunction with it. And there's no scheming for it when you're playing a system like this, where you're putting these guys on an Island and asking them to play man coverage. So this is for my, in my opinion, as long as winks here and I want him to be here for a damn long time. I love this current coaching staff. I think they give them an edge corner is one of my most important positions that I want the giants to attack over and over and over again until they have what the Ravens had before their injuries last year, three unreal guys as their fuzz are big three corners. And what did it give the Ravens? One of the best defenses in the NFL, despite not really having much edge talent there. Like they had guys that Judon went to the Patriots. I feel like he's more of a system guy and really have any kind of crazy edge talent ever there at Baltimore. And yet with those three corners and when they were playing at that elite level before the injuries, they were a pretty damn elite defense. One of the two, three best in the NFL. So as we look through this to me is a, is a work in progress, this cornerback group. And obviously, like you said, we could be seeing some, some new names. 
Yeah, definitely seeing new names. And then at the safety position, I'm wondering if they'll add anybody there. But I like the four guys that I chose. And there's one guy that I'm leaving off that I like as well. And I hope he goes to the practice squad. And the four that I chose, McKinney, Love, Belton, their locks. And then Trenton Thompson, somebody I was high on coming out of San Diego State. I, I think he's just had a great training camp. It looks like he has supplanted Yusef Corker on the depth chart. They're confident enough in Corker and Thompson to release a veteran player like Andrew Adams, who seemed like he was playing fine in his short time back with the New York Giants. So I have those four making the team with Corker going to practice squad and Nate Meadows, who actually played, I think, on the first team. Yeah, and he, and he looked pretty solid out there, had the interception that was negated by the hold. I mean, he, he was interesting just because he played solid, but ultimately I don't think there's a, a spot for him on the roster. No, maybe a little too late there. And this one I feel like is the locked in one. Like every year, every team always keeps four safeties. I very rarely have seen five safeties unless some of them can kind of double as a corner, as a slot guy or something like that. And I think you nailed it here, what they would do, what they think they're going to do and what I would do. It's McKinney, Love, Belton, as long as he's not as injured as it maybe originally seemed or they think he can come back, which seems to be the case. And then Trenton Thompson. It's tough because I love Yusuf Corker and I really feel like he's an interesting player for this team. But ultimately with Belton healthy or with Belton probably coming back sooner than expected, there's just not a spot for him. There's not going to keep five safety. So that to me will be another guy that, and you highlighted this, uh, a priority practice squad guy. Yeah, definitely priority practice squad. And then as for the special teams, you have Jamie Gill and the punter, Graham Gano and Casey Kreider. Those are three roster spots right there dedicated to good old special teams. Joe Judge isn't here anymore, so you're not going to dedicate another 10 to special teams, but Cam Brown will be around. Yep, without a doubt. Um, okay. I have nothing really else there on the on the specials. I feel like you've nailed that there. Uh, obviously, hopefully, this will be a better special teams unit than it was in the preseason, I guess, because it wasn't the, the, the most smooth sailing from a special team standpoint in the preseason. I think it will be. Obviously, they have a really good coach in there in place on special teams. Any final thoughts on the roster before we move forward? No, I think we're set. Let's get to this cut down and see who the Giants bring in on free agency because I think they're going to be active. Yeah, I think that's the key to this whole podcast. We're, we're expecting a really active free agency. We're expecting a really active cut down day. And we'll, we'll be here to talk about the new guys they bring in and try to research and give you guys some information on these players. Because, you know, if they're added to the 53, they could at any point be asked to be playing snaps in regular season based on injuries. That's just the nature of the business. So thank you so much for tuning in to Big Blue Banter Podcast. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.